This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. Whatever, whatever turmoil in your life right now, God is able. And no matter what it is, physical, emotional, spiritual, He is God of all. And Lord, we lift you now knowing you are able. Oh God, we lift you and magnify you. Just one word from you, oh God. As Pastor said this last week, whatever is bound on earth, we bound in heaven. Loose on earth, loose in heaven because of Him. Nothing we do. To stand on his word and speak his word. Amen. Hallelujah. We lift you and magnify you, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Hallelujah. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Thank you, Lord. Just one touch. I feel the presence of heaven. Thank you, Lord. Just one touch. My eyes were open to see. My heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise a name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Just one word, you hear what's broken inside me. Just one word, and you revive every dream. Thank you, Lord. Just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. Thank you, Lord. Just one touch, my eyes were open to Praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing. 
got to believe. The pastor said, Wednesday night, hallelujah. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. And I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Oh, let all agree. There's no power like this power. There's nothing that a God can do. There's not a mountain that He can do. Oh, praise the name. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. Can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise in this house today, right now? He's worthy. He's worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. Thank you to our praise team this morning, musicians, everybody, for getting us into the presence of this almighty God that we serve today. Are you happy to be in church? All right, let's get into the Word. I, um, you know, I've had several compliments, and I appreciate that. Um, a couple people tell me, man, you've been killing it the last couple of weeks. And while I appreciate it, it also makes me a little nervous that I won't today. So. <laughs> but um, I depend on the Lord, and um, as long as He helps me, I know everything will be okay. I want to speak to us today on a topic entitled, Seeing Ourselves as Jesus Sees us. Have you ever thought about that? Seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us. One of the problems that we have in America, and I think it's because of Hollywood, is self-image is a problem with a lot of people. How you behold yourself, how you think of yourself when you look in the mirror. Now some people when they look at themselves, they think, more highly of themselves than they probably should. While other people look at themselves with low regard, low self-esteem, feeling unworthy. And so while others may look at them with great respect, they kind of look at themselves with great disdain. They don't hold themselves at a standard high enough. And have you ever wondered what it would be like to see yourself the way that God sees you. Not the way you see yourself. Not the way other people view you. But how would you look if you could see yourself? If we could put on a set. You know, I went to the movies one time. And it was like one of these 3D, 4D, some kind of D stuff. And, uh, and they gave me these shades to put on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? These little glasses. These little plastic glasses. And so I put them on during the movie and it makes you feel like you're kind of on the roller coaster or whatever. Quite frankly, it made me want to throw up. I'm just going to be honest with you. I took the things off and, and, and didn't really enjoy the movie that much anyhow. It was just for the kids and you know how us parents do. And so, but they gave me, the, I could see, and it was amazing because I tested it because I'm just weird like that because I want to know you gave me these glasses I'm going to see it the way the glasses want me to see it but I'm going to take them off because I want to see how my eyes see it and I recognized very quickly that there was a vast difference in how I saw it myself versus what the glasses were seeing as I looked through them and I'm afraid today that when God looks at us he sees us so much differently than we see ourselves I believe it was just a few services back that I made mention of how much God loves us. And it may be frightening the psalm when you think about today, oh my gosh, I don't want to know the way God sees me because maybe He sees me in a pessimistic view. But I want to tell you, God is not a pessimist, folks. When He looks on you, He does not have negative thoughts. When He looks at you, He does not have the thought that some of your family has that says they're no good. They're, they're never going to amount to anything. That's not the way God sees you. Oh, praise God. I feel like preaching to us today. That when God looks at me, even though I may be a failure and I may make mistakes and I, I may let people down, but when God sees me, He doesn't see me in that light. This God that I serve, when He looks at me, 
He has a look of compassion like I will never be able to understand on this side of glory. He has a mercy and a grace and a love that is extended to me unlike any other person ever will. You know, your mama, your daddy may love you and they may care for you and try to take care of you. Your mama, your daddy, your wife, your husband, your children. But when Jesus sees you, He sees you even differently than they do because He looks beyond every fault, every failure, and He sees your need. He looks at you with compassion. You think about the Scriptures. When He looked at Jerusalem and He saw Jerusalem, He said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, that I could bring you in under my wings like a, like a hen does her biddies, but you would not do it. It is there that He begins to cry over their condition. He cries when, when He sees Lazarus. You recall the story of Lazarus. And Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus shows up four days late. And when He gets there, Mary and Martha are questioning, What is He going to do? He stinks by now. There's no hope for this situation. But when he came, he did not see a stinking corpse. What Jesus saw was a friend. And the Bible said, the shortest verse in your Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, it said, Jesus wept. That's it. Jesus wept. Tears start flowing when he looks at Lazarus, when he sees the situation that Lazarus is in. He begins to weep. Do you know what the surrounding people said? They said, oh, how... He loved him. Man, if I wish to God that God would just allow me today for two minutes just for to grab a hold to heaven and pull it down to earth and bring it down to every heart in this. I wish that God would just help me for a moment to preach and to say every word just right so that for just a few moments in God's time you could feel what He feels for you today because it would overwhelm you how much God loves you when He sees you. Oh, glory to God. See, see, I, I need to take you. There's a revelation of a woman at a well. And I'm going to read, not the whole thing, but I'm going to go verse by verse for some of them for time's sake. But it's the same thing. When he sees this woman, I want you to see what he sees. John 4, 7 through 9. When I read these scriptures, I see something totally different in this woman than Jesus does. But the Bible says a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, just give me a drink. Verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9 is interesting. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You can just leave it there for a moment. Now the point is made. And I want you to understand about Jesus. When Jesus looks at us, he does not see status. He sees sinners. He doesn't see where you are, where you're headed, what you've done. If you don't know Jesus Christ, all He sees is a sinner that needs to meet Jesus. Now we see them different. We judge them differently. We talk about them all the time because that's what people do. But that's not what Jesus does. The point is made in the story, and it's very interesting, because she says to him, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans were a mixed breed of people. Alright? I had somebody the other day that was talking to me about their dog. Oh man, I love my dog. And they go all these places. 
and, uh, and I finally asked them, what kind of dog you got? Well, they said, well, he's got a little of this and that. And I said, he's a sooner. That's exactly what you got, sooner. That's what we call them, right? Sooners. Don't get offended if you've got one. They're precious. But what it is, is it's a mixed breed. It's, it's, it's not a Dalmatian. It's not a Chihuahua. It's a Chihuahua, a Chow. A da- I mean, we've got all kinds of mixtures in this. And so now we've got Labradoodles and things like this. And I've got one of those. In reality, it's a glorified Sooner. Because it's a poodle and a Labrador retriever, right? So it's a mixed breed. When you look at the Samaritans, they are the mixed breed. They are outcasts. They are not the Jewish people. They had a history of racial and religious mixture among them. You think prejudice just started in 2021? You better wake up. It's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. They've got a religious mixture. They're all from different places. A matter of fact, the woman goes on and we'll talk about it. Where should we worship and how should we worship? Now while the Jews and Samaritans traded commercially because it benefited both of them to sell and buy and exchange goods with one another, they refused to have any social interaction. There is no Brian the Samaritan. Would you like to meet me at Starbucks and let's have a coffee together this afternoon. That is not what it's about. They cannot have that. Now I could sell him a coffee. Right? Give me money, trade of goods. We can deal all business, baby. All business. Other than that, we can't have anything. This is exactly the picture that I want you to understand is going on in the middle of the story of Jesus, I'm telling you today. So the Jews believed and called themselves a superiority over all people, meaning they were better than other people. Listen, they knew they were God's people. God had already called them the apple of His eye. Jacob, Israel, he even names Jacob after Israel, my people, they know God loves them with a love like no other. It's His people. He's made an Abrahamic covenant with them. He'll always be with them. They'll always be His people. And God still has a connection with His people today in Israel. But this is the thing. It did not give them the right to mistreat other people. But Jesus did what our motto is, bridge the gap. He bridged the gap between the Samaritan woman and he being a Jew. For he looks at her, there's no monetary exchange. It's more of a social friend conversation when he looks at her and says, Give me a drink of water. Jesus is not a cla- he is not class or community conscious. He is only need conscious. He does not care what class that means rich or poor. He does not matter what community, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan or whatever Greek, Hebrew, it does not matter. He only sees the need. Can I tell somebody that we in America, we need to get over the color of someone's skin. We need to get over the class of some people because they don't meet our caliber, our standard of living. We've got to get over their status. We've got to get over that they're a drunk. We've got to get over that they're known as being a drug user and a dealer among the community. We've got to get past the fact that they're a harlot. We've got to get past it if we're going to see people the way that Jesus sees them. We cannot look at their status. we got to know they're a sinner in 
God. So we quit looking for people that can. All right, all right, help, Pastor. Quit looking for people that will fit into your clique. Do you know today that in the majority of churches, the makeup of our churches look the same? Because most of the time, the people that we try to reach, we try to reach, are people that are the same status as us. The same class as us. The same caliber of us. That is why in the church, it looks so identical. Everybody's the same Income median, everybody, you know, the kind of average folks, average homes. We all get in this, this mindset that we've got to have people that look just like us. But let me tell you something. God is after sinners. God is after sinners. And I would to God that we wouldn't just look at them and say, oh my God. You know, some church people, we'd be like, oh, they've got a lot of money. They can give to the church. i got news for you. There's a lot of people who got a lot of money ain't never gave nothing to the church. And so we see their staff. Oh, boy, we better be good to him. Boy, I better pat him or her on the head. I better treat them just right because of their status. That is not right. What God has called us to do is to see a sinner. And it doesn't matter who they are, what they've got, where they live at, what they're addicted to. God said, you've got to see them through my eyes. I'm glad today that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Verse 10, verse 10, Brandon, the Bible said, Jesus answered and said to her, If you only knew the gift of God and who it is. If you only knew who I was. See, I'm afraid today the world don't recognize who Jesus is. But once they recognize who He is, their life is flipped upside down forevermore. There has never been a man or a woman that has come in contact with Jesus Christ and really had an experience with God and not get up from an altar and walk away a changed man or woman and their world was different from the moment they met Jesus. And if they testified the day, they would testify to that truth that Jesus made everything better. So you don't know who this is. Give me a drink. You would have known, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Lady, I am not here for your water. I'm here so I can give you water. Woo! God help us all today. He doesn't see status, he sees sinners. Point number two is I hurry along. He doesn't see obstacles, he only sees opportunities. See, understand with me. An optimist said O is the last letter in the word zero. But it is the first letter in the word opportunity. It is all how you look at it. Some people always look at the negative and not the positive. Does anybody know anybody like that? We call these people. I know some of you didn't say it too loud because they sit beside you. <laughs> We, we call that a pessimist. The pessimist, God bless their soul. They mean well a lot of times. But they have this mentality and this, this ideology that all the time is saying, wait a minute, there's no way this is going to happen. 
All they ever see is obstacles, right? That is who a pessimist is. It is their job, and they don't even get paid to do it, to tell you all of the obstacles and problems that you're going to change. They say to themselves, well, look at this person over here. They'll never change. Uh -uh. They're they're never going to be any better than they are right now. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now. This is as good as it gets. That's what the pessimist says. And the woman was a pessimist. Have you ever noticed? Because she is quick to point out something to Jesus. And I'm not going to read it, but I'll quote it. Because she says to him, well, if you want water, she said the well is too deep. (laughs) And you have nothing to draw with. Do y'all see that? She is a, what she just told the Son of God Almighty is there's no way you can get water. There is one obstacle that stands in the way. But Jesus had what I would call the no problem attitude. Why does Jesus have a no problem attitude? Because He can do any and everything. He was not worried about a bucket. If He wanted water, He could have got it to levitate up to where He was and He could have scooped it out in His hand. My God, I'm glad today that I serve that God that has no problems. He doesn't care. And if we would only have faith and believe in Him, maybe we could have a little more I don't care attitude. No problem at all. Opportunity, opportunity. So Jesus, so obstacles in your life are God's opportunities for miracles. See, sometimes you have to get a bad report. Sometimes you have to have a bad day. Because that's the only way God can perform a miracle. So there's times, and there's somebody here today, you say, well, Pastor, you understand, I'm facing an obstacle right now, and I'm telling you, I've tried to have a positive outlook. I mean, I've tried to just, just, just change the situation. I've done everything within my power. I don't know what else to do. What you're saying is there is obstacles in your way, but I want you to meet a man by the name of Jesus today with the woman at the well who says, it is no problem for me. I can handle your problem. I can handle your situation. Don't worry. I'll move the obstacle out of the way. It is an opportunity for me to show you that I am still God I'm still a way maker a miracle worker a promise keeper I can do it move out the way and let me work point number three Jesus doesn't see the immediate watch this but he does see the eternal now now I want somebody to grab this this is very very important Go, go to verse 13 through 14 Brandon let's jump Jesus answered and said to her whoever Drinks of this water will thirst again. I can go and tell y'all why he's changing. I, I, can, uh, I can test to that. Because I just drank this and I'm thirsty again, alright? Verse 14. That was an illustration. I won't charge you extra. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Praise God. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Leave it right here for a minute. We wonder why we get so excited about serving Jesus, why we have to spread the gospel, why we have to testify, why we clap our hands, why we raise our hands, why we worship God. The reason is that we've taken a drink of some eternal water. 
It is not temporary like the water I'm drinking today. There is something inside of me that is bubbling up inside of me that says, Man, you have passed from death to life. You were a sinner, but now you're a saint. Hallelujah. You're on your way to glory. Thank God for that today. So, so, so he says, you will never thirst. When Jesus, when Jesus gave us this living water, can I say it this way? We don't need anything the world has to offer, folks. Why not? I'm not thirsty. I'm satisfied with Jesus. He, he has already filled the longing in my soul. He has already taken out the void that used to live there every day in and day out and during the night. It was living there. But Jesus has already given me water and now I don't thirst again. I can't understand how the people give their life to Christ supposedly and they turn away from Christ go back to the world as if Jesus isn't good enough if Jesus isn't good enough then brother you will live a life as most men that are miserable out there in the world Jesus is enough for me Jesus is all that I need Jesus is all that you need watch 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 this. So there are many ministries in local churches that we may not address all the time immediate needs. But there are seeds that are being planted into the future of what will be and what will happen. So when God does a work in this lady, He does not just see what's going to happen in her immediately. He looks beyond that. And eternally, he says, this woman is going to be a messenger. And I'm going to get to that. But I, that's going to carry the gospel. See, it started with the Sunday school teacher. It is the year 1858 in a city called Boston. His name is Edward Kimball, who is a young Sunday school teacher. He makes it a habit regularly to, to visit each student. And to offer them the opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. One day, Edward Kimball became concerned about a student. A local student that worked at a local shoe store. One day, while Kimball is visiting his shoe store, he sees this young man in his class at his stocking shelves. He goes to the young man. He leads him to Jesus Christ. That student was a man that you may have heard of by the name of Dwight L. Moody. We call him D.L. Moody, who would eventually leave the shoe business and would become one of the greatest evangelists to ever walk in America. Watch it. Oh, God have So Moody became an international speaker. He toured the British Isles. He preached in a little chapel, pastured by a young man by the name of Frederick Meyer. In his sermon, he tells the story of his Sunday school teacher. And how it changed him. The message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry. Inspiring him to become an evangelist just like Moody. Meyer began to preach in America. In Northfield, Massachusetts. Where a young man heard him say. If you are not willing to give up everything for Christ. Are you willing to be made willing? That remark led J. Wilbur Chapman. To respond to God's call on his life. Wilbur Chapman went on to become an effective evangelist as well. He enlisted the help of a volunteer. Guess what his name is? His name is Billy Graham, who would help him set up tents. 
and set up crusades. Billy Sunday learned how to preach by watching Chapman. Eventually Chapman's ministry would become dynamic. But Billy Sunday would take over Meyer's ministry. And you've heard of Billy Sunday who would literally win thousands of people to Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday has a crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. A group of Christian men come together to reach the city for Christ. They invited a young evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham who would come and hold a series of evangelistical meetings. The year is 1932. The crowds are coming. A farmer says, I'm going to get all the boys that work on the farm and I'm going to bring them to this meeting. He brings one 16-year-old boy who sat in the crowd every night spellbound by this message from Mordecai Ham. Each evening the preacher seemed to scream and holler and point at him every single night until night after night. The last night the teenager decided that he was going to walk to the altar. He was going to come forward and he was going to give his life to Christ. That teenager was Billy Graham. Billy Graham has communicated the gospel to more people than any other person in history. A matter of fact, some of you may have been to his crusades and you may know somebody today that was won because of his acquaintance and his preaching watch this it all started with the Sunday school teacher who is named Edward Kimball who had a love for his class and just wanted them to come to Jesus oh my god there's somebody with me today what I'm telling you is this one man what I'm telling you this is what Jesus sees when he sees us he sees us and says it's not just about what's going on right here right now it is about what's going to happen for eternity if that person finds me I'm glad today in this building That Jesus does not only see where you are. There are seeds that have been planted in you from ministers through the years. Maybe even a Sunday school teacher. It's going to come to fruition. And you're going to win people for Jesus Christ. (coughs) Children's and youth ministries were often the most criticized in the church. Because they were the most costly investment to the church. But there's one thing that I learned in ministry. Is that kids don't stay kids forever. They grow up. Teenagers don't say teenagers forever. They grow up. So what I have learned to understand is when I invest into them, I am not investing in their immediate status. I am investing in eternity. To every Sunday school teacher, to every minister, to every kids leader, to every volunteer. I'm telling you, keep doing what you're doing. Because there might be a D.L. Moody that we're teaching every week. There might be a teenager back there, Dylan and Hillary, in your class that may be the next Billy Graham. Whoever knows. Whoever knows what God's up to. Oh, glory to God. This lady in my story is after what I'd call a temporary fix for her thirst. But Jesus offers her something eternal. And I've got to hurry. A powerful lesson for all of us. That many ministries and local churches do not address immediate needs. But that we plant into their future. Point number four. Jesus didn't see a harlot. But he saw a hurting woman. He told her. She said, let me go get my husband, right? And he said... You've had five husbands, and now you're shacking up. To put it bluntly, in American terms, everybody can understand it. He says, the one that you're with is not your own, meaning you guys are living together out of wedlock, right? 
6. Now watch this. Watch this. He makes the comment, but he does not criticize her. Many have made this woman out to be of ill repute. We see the story. We read it. It appears that she is a harlot. We suggest that because she did not come early in the morning when most come or late in the evening when the sun has gone down. She chooses to come to the well in the middle of the day when the sun is beating down. Some say that maybe she was trying to, to escape the ridicule of others because of that came at the cooler morning or the ladies that came in the evening in the more convenient hours. Maybe they would ridicule her for who she was and they knew the lifestyle that she was living. I mean, listen, people are mean. Have y'all not noticed lately? They don't care if they hurt your feelings or not. People can be mean. It was not easy for a woman back then to get a divorce. Anyhow, a matter of fact, the man could get a divorce much easier than the woman could. It is possible that this woman had been rightfully divorced five different times and just wasn't running around with all kinds of different men. She is hurting. She is broken. A bill of divorcement comes through infidelity. So there is, the Bible doesn't tell us, but all of her husbands could have cheated on her. And she could have got divorced from everyone. I don't know. Maybe, but, but, but it appears, according to her living with this guy, that this is the reputation. It's looked down on in their community. You've got to be married before you can live together. It is looked down on. And so this lady, either way, regardless of whether she was divorced or married, whatever, the point is that she has ill repute. But Jesus, listen, he did not condone her lifestyle, but he did not spend a lot of time condemning her either. Now, I need somebody to grab this. Because what we have done in the church, we have not had a fine line in the middle. Either we pat people on the back and praise them for their sins and tell them the grace of God's good enough, Come on, somebody. Is that not what many modern churches do? We don't preach sin. We don't talk about sin. So what we do is we basically empower people to sin. God Almighty. So, so, so don't <laughs> preach on these things because you'll hurt tithes. You'll hurt giving. People won't want to come to your church, which i got to disagree with. I believe there's coming a day when people are going to seek out churches that preach the truth. I really believe that. I believe we are getting there closer and closer. I really believe that. I may be wrong. Don't mark me on my words. But I'm telling you, I believe we're getting there. As this world gets worse, they're going to want to hear somebody that will get them to heaven instead of preach them into hell. Oh, God. And so we either condone their sin. Oh, honey, it's going to be all right. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Jesus understands. Or either we look at them with our Holy Spirit and say, you're a no good. We say things about them. We talk about them. Sometimes we don't even have to open our mouth. It is the way that we look at them. Y'all ever had the eyes? Mama had eyes. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, like, you'd be cutting up in church and just that look. They didn't say anything. You knew it meant straighten your tail up. We're going outside. I'm going to beat you like an old-fashioned. I mean, yeah, you're going to be dancing like, pow, 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 beating you all the way around. I've been there and done that. And I'm telling you, oh God, help us today. This, this Jesus is so powerful. Watch this. He does not give them the look. He does not give her the look of condemnation. He knows her lifestyle. He has already... How does He know? How does He know that I've had five husbands? How does He know that the one I'm with is not my own? She not, He ran her mail. In that moment, Jesus wanted her to know, I know everything about you. I know.
But I still want to give you some water that's going to change you forever. And I don't care about anything else. I don't care if you're a harlot or not. All I care about is that you are hurting and you are in pain and I was broken and bruised. The chastisement of your peace was upon me and because I was bound with with stripes all of the things that you are bound to you are set free. By my stripes you are healed. So if you're broken, I've already been broken for you. I'm not here to condemn you and judge you. He simply saw her need and ministered to it. I'm going to leave you with this and I'll close. Lastly, where's Sandra? Just get ready. Not yet, but I'll tell you when. He didn't waste time with narrow sectarianism, which is simply religious sectors. The typical Jew and Samaritan as I'm going to point out, had an argument about the location of where worship should take place. The, the Samaritans said that worship should be done in the mountains, but the Jews said it should be done in a temple in Jerusalem. Look at verse 23. See, Jesus gets to a place, but the hour is coming. And I love this next part. And now is. Jesus said, I'm already here. I've come to do the work. There's no need to wait any longer. Now is the time when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. 24, God is a spirit. You know this verse. All of those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What is God saying? Jesus is saying, who cares? There's coming a day when you're not going to worship on the mountain and you're not going to worship in the temple. He said you're just going to worship the Father. You're not going to care where you are. You're not going to care what everybody's doing. All you're going to do is you're going to let your spirit connect with His spirit and you won't care where you are. It's all about Jesus anyhow. Oh, so you are going to worship, worship. See, now the woman tries to venture into argumentative territory, right? Argumentative. She tries to get this argument started. But Jesus doesn't get bogged down there. He addresses the issue. He gets back the business at hand. You ever had someone try to argue with you about the Bible? Jesus says, I don't have time to, to argue about church issues. What we need to be focused on is your spiritual condition. The church of Jesus Christ has been narrow-minded long enough. We have had various narrow views of different denominations, different doctrines, different philosophies. We've argued over them. We've fussed over them. And all that God's wanting us to do is to go out into the harvest. We've tried to protect our own interests. We've tried to say our denomination is right. Your denomination is right. We've had our religious sectors long enough. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to be the body of Christ and it looks very much different than what we look like today there's coming a day oh, are you ready for that it won't matter if it's a Baptist it won't matter if they're church of God it won't matter if there are Methodist brothers and sisters there is coming a day 
Jesus said when the Samaritans and the Jews are going to get together and they're going to worship the Father, the Spirit of God's going to fall. It's going to happen on the day of Pentecost. It's going to spread to all the world. I'm tired of these religious sectors. I'm sick and tired of all these religious denominations trying to act like we're better than the other. God forbid I'm a part of the blood-washed church of Jesus Christ and I'm glad I'm one of them. Jesus, Jesus. Have we taken out a harvest because we have become full of narrow-minded thinking? Have we taken out a harvest because we are so concerned about what denomination a church is? I've had people that I've invited to church and say, hey, you want to come to my church sometime? First thing they ask I normally don't push it in their face. I don't care. And so where you pastor, I tell them, Church of God, you know, Gap Hill, Church of God. You say Gap Hill Church, you get confused because there's two of them. So Gap Hill Church of God, we, you know, we just love Jesus. I've had more, I can't tell you how many people say, well, I'm Baptist. And I say to them exactly what I'm going to say to you. I don't care if you're Baptist. We worship Jesus. We got to get over it, folks. We got to get over it. We've got to get back to the place that all we want to do is win people for Jesus. He cuts through all the red tape. And the end result is that a woman walks away from a well and she's changed and she's saved. Jesus could have spent all of his time and energy fussing about the church down the road. Instead, he prayed her through. <laughs> he didn't care what church she came from, what she was affiliated with. He said, lady, we're about to have a prayer meeting right here at the well. You're going to walk away with some living water. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Do you know what she did? Go ahead, Sandra, and play. She went through the town showing off Jesus. Can I just say it? All right. Do you know that... that <laughs> They tell us that the way to grow a church is not the present, current congregation. They tell us that the way to grow the church is a term that they use called new blood. Does anybody know what new blood is? And we ain't talking about a vampire movie. New blood is when somebody comes to Christ. The blood of Jesus covers their sins. Oh, and they walk away like the woman from the well that was broken. But now she is mended. When this experience takes place, it is only fitting for that individual to not be able to hold it in much longer. Because inside of them, I wish y'all felt this today, Inside of them, there is a living, some living water, and it's springing. It's bubbling. Woo! I've never felt this before. Oh man, my burden is gone. Oh my God, that addiction I used to have, I don't even want it anymore. There's something going on inside of me. And so they go down the road, and they go to their family, and they say, the woman left her water pot. She went her way into the city. She went and found the men who she already had a reputation with. Verse 29. And she said, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Y'all been talking about a Messiah coming that was going to die for us and we could all be saved. Is this the guy? 
they went out of the city and they came to Jesus. Do you see what happens? A woman that was just converted got a whole town on fire for Jesus Christ. All because she left her water part that she was going to get thirsty again with, drank up some living water, and went out bubbling and excited and said, Come, see a man. So the person that has just been saved is excited about what God's doing. They go and they tell them, come see a man. Come to that church. You've never heard singing like that. Well, I'm sure they have. You've never heard preaching like that. I'm sure somewhere down the line they have. If they haven't, they will. But you, there's nothing like it. I'm telling you, they're the best. Well, we're probably not. We're good. May not be the best. But to them, they don't care. The experience they had at the altar, that church is rocking. I've tried different things. I've tried different drugs. I've tried different drinks. I've tried different methods. I've tried different ideas. I've been in different relationships. I've went from one to... I've tried my best to find happiness. I've had six of them. I'm running from man to man. I'm not getting my needs fulfilled. I don't know. All that I need is to come in contact with Jesus Christ. And they go out and they spread the gospel. So, what does that do? Give me two minutes. I promise I'm longer today. I don't even care. Watch this. So what does that do for me and you? What does it do for a guy that got saved at six years old? The majority of my life, 32 years of 38 years, has been preaching, singing, going to church, loving on Jesus. How... Do you take that guy and you get the water bubbling again? How, how do you take that Christian that takes pride that they've been in the church for 50 years and just get that bubbling again? I mean, how do we get that excitement bubbling again? The only thing I can tell you is while they're telling us it takes new blood, I want to tell you what I think it's going to I think that some of us that have been saved for a long time, I think we need to go back to the well. Because I think what's happened to our well inside of us is that life has got us down. The church has beat us down. Other people have discouraged us. And then the devil and all of his imps on top of that. And what has happened to our well? It is clogged up. So who in the world wants to go into the world and tell other people there's a guy that's going to give you waters that are going to flow and you're going to shout the victory when you ain't even shouting and when you ain't even excited. Come on somebody and help this boy preach. We got to remove the rocks. We got to come back to the well. We got to get another drink from the fountain of living water. And we got to come see a man again. Maybe we need to have another salvation experience. Maybe we need to come and cry a little bit and say, God, what have I become? God, forgive me for who I am. Forgive me for what I've done. Give me that water again. Get me excited again so that I can go and tell them, come see a man that saw me for who I was, but he still loved me. Anyhow, let's stand. I've got to quit. Oh, God. Jesus won her. She won the city. In our pews, in our streets, the harvest is waiting.
If we can look beyond the faults, the failures, and see what God sees, we discover there's a great kingdom of God just waiting to be established here on earth. Seeing ourselves and others the way that Jesus sees us. What a difference. What a difference it would make in the world. So today, child of God, whether you're saint or sinner, today, whatever you do, you need to get the well springing up again. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. I don't care. Jesus sees you for who you are, but He still loves you, and He still wants you, and He still wants to use you, and He still has a work for you to do. Can we just pray together? Father, unclog any rock that may be inside of our well, inside of our hearts, and our lives, and our bellies. This should be bursting up. I pray for the saint that's had that well for a long time, bless God. They've been saved for 30 years, praise the Lord. I'm asking you to unclog their well. So that once again they can declare, come see a man. Come see a man. Challenge us. Change us. You love us today, Father. I want you to take a moment. I want you to talk to God. This is your prayer time. If you need altar time, that's fine. You can have it. I've got a sister down here right now. That's fine, sister. You obey the Lord. If anybody else needs an altar time, you come forward. If you don't know Jesus today, you ought to come forward. Just come right now. You're not going to be pointed out. Just come and talk to Christ just like anybody else will today. If you want altar time, it's now. If not, do it in your pew. But I want you to just ask God, let the water spring up again. Let the water spring. Sing, Brian. Sing that. When I think about Cause Lord, you're